amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. When you see somebody who, who, is, who is being abusive to me then, in little ways, not necessarily with a slap, you know, um, and then you see them remorseful after, you really think that they are remorseful and they've got, like, problems. Domestic abuse, you know, um, it doesn't necessarily mean a black eye. It's the mind games, you know, that the, 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 the and it is like mental torture. The emotional abuse is far, for us, more serious than, than, than the, the violence. You know, you haven't got to to be putting up with it. You haven't got to, you know, be living in that, well, existing in that environment. You know, there is help out there. Seek the help. Domestic abuse is not somebody else's problem. It's all our problem. And if we don't do something now and protect the next generation, you know, we're going to have a massive crisis on our hands. I feel my experience has made me stronger. I feel now that I've got such a passion to, to I want to see an end to domestic abuse. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. I'm so happy to welcome back my very special guest, Rachel Williams. Now, you'll recall from the last episode, where we left off, Rachel and her son, Jack, were running for their lives. And you're going to hear about the day of the attack in this episode. And so it's for good reason that listener discretion is advised. These episodes are not for the faint-hearted. They're not an easy listen and may be triggering, and they will be upsetting and angry-making. Please take good care of yourselves when listening. Okay, so deep breath, let's dive back in. So I moved out um, for a couple of weeks, stayed with a friend, and um, I filed for divorce, and Darren was really hounding me. You know, the taxes were heavy, you know, I can't live without you. And then at that point, then I gave the police a long historical statement of the abuse and they arrested him then for common assault, for the assault on me with the strangulation. Darren then, um, he took an overdose, quite a big overdose, but, you know, was found. 
And um, at that point, I think he knew then that, that there was no coming back for me. So your son, Jack, I mean, he obviously had a very clear read of the situation saying that the pattern will repeat, Mama. Yeah. You know, we've got to go because he will persuade you and he will manipulate you. And I would imagine that that had a profound impact on you because you did continue with leaving him. You didn't go back. And when you talked about him hounding you, I would call that stalking you. That People don't always use that word because it sounds like a celebrity being stalked. It doesn't sound like it's something that happens to regular people, but that continuous calling, contacting, putting their needs ahead of yours. I mean, again, it just shows that he had no real understanding or compassion or thought for you or the children. It was all about him mm. and what he wanted. Yeah. Me, 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 me. The narcissism is just off the scale as you describe his behaviour. But importantly, the police did arrest him, but it was for common assault, which common assault is in policing terms seen as actually a minor crime. Yeah. not as something that's serious. And that's where when I worked in the Met, I always saw some of the most high-risk behaviours, strangulation cases in particular, that were crimed and charged as common assault, which makes it seem like something much lesser. But he almost killed you. Mm. I mean, make no mistake about that. He almost killed you in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and that was just one of many times that I was strangled over the years, not realising, you know, the severity of it and what it could potentially lead to. So he got bailed, which again, he's on bail. The message to him is it's not that serious. That's how perpetrators, their psychology, that's how they read it. It's not actually that serious because I haven't been remanded. I've been bailed. What happened after he was bailed? So he was bailed. um, He had bail restrictions put into place, which were he couldn't come within a three mile radius of the marital home. He had to be on a six till six curfew at his sister's property and the police would go and make regular checks. And he couldn't contact either of the boys because they were potential witnesses. So that was on the Friday he actually went to court. On the Saturday, he got his sister to come and pick Jack up because he wanted to see Jack. So that was a bail break. He actually was going going to the gym, which was in less than a three mile radius of the marital home. That was a bail break. He really had no regard for, for rules and regulations and certainly not handed out by any police or court. Um, I, I flagged these ba- breaches up to the police because it's always down to the, to the victim to do this. And, um, you know, the police were pretty useless at the time. I said the gym shut at nine o'clock. Go and see if you can get some CCTV footage because nobody in the gym will say that Dan was in there because they will be too frightened. So you will have to get the, the video. They were going there at half past nine at night and saying the gym's shut. And I'm saying, you know, I've told you the hours of the gym. Why are you going there at half past nine? You know, it was such a blunder. I had 36 police officers deal with my case in six weeks. So you can imagine what got dropped, what got missed, what what never got handed over. Like I said, if it wasn't so tragic, it would have been like Keystone Cops. And this is where the pattern is so important. And I underline it all the time, the pattern, the totality must be picked up. How can you have a situation, 36 different police officers in a six-week period where you've got a high-risk victim and children who are at risk being dealt with in such a way that it seemed to be minor and the basic things being done well? 
going to the gym and seizing the cameras at the time the gym's open. It's really not rocket science. But what it tells me, Rachel, is just that it wasn't taken seriously. No. No, it's-, it's not just about the join up. It's about the fact that no one had a grip on it. There was no one senior officer saying, hang on, we need to look at this. Darren Williams is a big problem here. And we've got a woman who's at risk with her children. Things have escalated. There certainly sounds to me like there was no risk assessment. I know there was a review done of, of the case, but there was no risk assessment. But you were left completely vulnerable at the end of the criminal justice system, which is just unacceptable. Mm. Yeah, it, you know, and knowing what I know now and, and looking back over the series case review and the IPCC report, you know, it, you know, it's not acceptable. And it's certainly not acceptable for me when I'm hearing the same blunders being made 10 years later. Um, you know, it's not lessons learned, it's lessons identified. Now we will do this. You know, some police forces do, and you do get your good police officers, but equally you also get your rubbish police officers. And, you know, you can't afford to be having a rubbish police officer when you're dealing with victims of domestic abuse and violence. And more importantly, when you're dealing with perpetrators like Darren Williams. Yeah. Now, some are serious criminals, high-risk perpetrators, some are psychopaths, and I believe through an indirect assessment that that's what Darren Williams was, and you were being left to manage with your children in such a vulnerable situation because people weren't, the police weren't looking at him. And it's no good focusing on victims and just thinking, well, let's put a security system in or let's give her a phone so that she it goes straight through on the 999. It's actually about what are you doing to problem solve him? Mm. Because during this time, he's bleaching your clothes, your possessions. He's destroying things, which actually is a message to you that you're next if somebody had bothered to do the risk assessment. And, and what happened thereafter? You you made a decision. I remember you saying, I chose not to run. I wasn't going to run and disappear myself. Yeah, my, I can remember my mum saying, you know, you're going to have to move away. You know, I can, you, what about Menorca? You know, we'll, we'll fund you a place over in Menorca. She said, that's the only way you're going to get rid of him. You know, and I said, I'm not running on no more, mum. I am not running. I said, and my words to my mum was, what's the worst you can do is kill me. I said, because I ain't running no more. And Darren had gone back to court on the, uh, I think it might have been the 18th of August. And all his bail restrictions were lifted by the lay magistrates. So now he's given that power again, you know. Um, the bail restrictions are lifted. Hey, oh, I can, I can go and sit up at the top of the drive if I want to and, and watch Rachel. So that point then, he couldn't come back to the marital home. He wasn't allowed. That was one thing he couldn't do. So I decided to move back into the marital home. And I did move back into the marital home. But the day Dan's bail restrictions were lifted and the day I moved back into the marital home, he had got his friend to come and collect his dogs. So he was tying up loose ends. Now I can see what he was doing. So his friend had his dogs and his working stuff. He said, oh, he's given me the dogs. And I'm, you know, thinking it's a little bit weird, but thinking, well, if he's not going to be here to look after him, he may as well give him to his mate. We're always going to feed him and walk him. But obviously Darren had plans um so the following day that was first first night I'd been in the home for a while so my mum was like just stay one more night and I said no I'm going back home I'm going back to my own house uh which I did 
the following morning on Friday, the 19th of August, um, I'd gone to work in the hairdressers and that wasn't a day I normally worked in the hairdressers, um, but I was covering a colleague's day off. And I can remember feeling in the morning, thinking, right, okay, this is the start, you know, of something. Um, I just didn't know what it was going to be the start of, but I knew it was the start of something. Let's talk makeup for a moment. What's your daily makeup routine? Are you an out of the door with a messy bun, a mascara vibe? Or are you coiffed to the max? Or maybe you're somewhere in between like me. Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty free, made with clean skin loving ingredients, high performance and trademark formulas and uncompromising standards. Thrive Cosmetics bigger than beauty mission is amazing. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. I love that Thrive Cosmetics supports domestic violence victims, breast cancer survivors, and women who are emerging from homelessness. It's a beauty brand and a philosophy that goes beyond skin deep by empowering women. Did you know the first product they launched were false eyelashes, which was motivated by the fact that cancer patients lose their eyelashes? How amazing is that? I love their new sheer strength lip plumping peptide gloss. It gives you a visibly fuller looking, luscious lips without fillers or uncomfortable stinging sensations. It's also ultra hydrating and there are 10 shades to choose from which enhance your natural lips, six shines and four shimmers. Support and empower women and treat yourself or a loved one. Thrive Cosmetics is a luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash crime analyst. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash crime analyst for 20% off your first order. I want to tell you about my sponsor, Factor. Factor makes healthy eating easy. And health and fitness starts with good food. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Fuel up fast with Factors, restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. I've had the chicken parmesan and the turkey chili and zucchini, and they're delicious and I highly recommend them. Factor is flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Now, they've done the maths, and Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash crimeanalyst50 and use code crimeanalyst50 to get 50% off. That's code crimeanalyst50 at factormeals, F-A-C-T-O-R, factormeals.com slash crimeanalyst50 to get 50% off. And I'd gone to work and my boss said to me, how are you feeling? I said, oh, I'm okay. I said, but I have got this knot in my stomach. 
And that is the first time I'd ever experienced when people say they have a lump in their throat and they can't physically swallow. That is what I experienced that morning whilst eating my breakfast. I could not physically swallow. And I'd gone to work and um, I it was about quarter past, 20 past two. And I just finished doing a lady's hair and I was giving her a change back. And then another lady come in and said, uh, how's everything going? And she was a f- um, the nan of one of my son's friends. And she knew Darren and the family. And she said, you know, how's it going? I thought, I'm trying to get rid of Raoul Moat. Um, you know, and we know Raoul Moat in the UK was was uh, um, was um, infamous for shooting a police officer and trying to to kill his, his ex who'd left him. And then he took his own life. And at that point, then the shop went really dark as if something was obscuring the sunlight out of the shop. And as I looked to the door to see what was blocking the sunlight out, in the door frame, filled, Darren filled the door frame. He was stood there in the door frame and he was pushing the glass door open. And as I looked, I could see him reaching into a bag. And as I looked again, he was pulling out this sawn off shotgun out of his bag. And at that point, I don't know why I done it. I ran towards him and started fighting with him for the gun. Um, I can remember him hitting me with, with the butt of the gun and I fell on the floor. The reception desk had gone over in the commotion, bearing in mind it was a Friday. It was a busy day in the salon. There was a couple of old older clients sat under the dryer who witnessed everything. One of the other old ladies was on the floor, Connie. She was 93 and she was shouting at him to get out. I managed to pull pull the reception desk over me. I tried to do the 999 call because the phone was on the floor. Um, I can remember doing that. And at that point, Dan kicked the desk from me and told me that he loved me and aimed the gun at my chest. And thankfully, I had presence of mind to pull my knees up under my chin. Um, and he released the one shot which hit me in the left leg and the second shot skimmed past my ear. He then... I believe, put the gun down to reload. The gun was by the side of me and I managed to grab the gun. Um, And I know there was a pretty hefty battle in the shop um, because we were doing this motion with the gun and I had a watch on and the face was frosted in every direction. So I knew my hand was going around and around and around with this gun in it, which he couldn't get, get out of my hand. And at that point, then he proceeded to batter me. I can remember being kicked under the chin. He stamped over my head. Um, yeah, he, he really battered me. And then he fled the scene. He was gone. Just terrifying and terrorising whenever I hear you describe that. And you running towards him when you saw him, that jumped out at me straight away. And it was probably an action that saved your life and other people's lives. That reaction again your amygdala makes these decisions i've never had a case or heard a situation where someone ran towards the shooter most people run away but there was something that told you run towards and that threw him didn't it because there was a shot that went off but it threw him because he didn't expect that to happen either i just think so many of the actions that you took on that day which, as you say, you don't know why you did it, but actually they saved your life, putting your legs up when he's about to discharge a firearm the, into your chest, which would, again, have killed you. 
But you did end up with serious injuries, didn't you? You were you were taken to hospital and you did have life-threatening injuries. But it's just so incredible, Rachel, that you took those actions and saved your life as well as other people on that day. It, it really is. Mm, it, it, when, when I talk about it and sometimes think, my goodness, why did you run towards him? You know, and I sort of su- surprised myself. But, you know, it's, it's a question I can't answer other than I must have subconsciously thought about stuff and thought there was really no way of getting out of that shop through the back door. There was no way to go. And absolutely, that would have put Darren on a back foot. He would never in a million years would have thought that I would have ran towards him with that gun. You know, in his mind, he would have been thinking, right, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to kill her, going to shoot her. She's going to run from me, shoot her in the back, kill her, go off and kill myself, which is what he done when and hung himself. That was all set up in preparation for after his final act. You know, but thankfully I am here to tell the tale and thankfully because of my actions and what i done, you know, that I am here and, and I do believe it put him on a back foot and what he would have thought, he hated prison, he would not have gone back to prison had the police have come earlier and he'd still been there, there would have been a shootout. Certainly if Darren had any more bullets, there would have been a shootout. Um, and Darren would have said to himself, i got five minutes to do this. And he would have been mentally timing how long he had before he had to flee the shop to get away to be able to take his own life because he was in control. He wasn't going to prison and he wouldn't have been killed by a police officer. And those key points are absolutely spot on. This was all about control. It was going to end his way. Yeah. As he decided. So this was all premeditated. He already had things set up. And yes, he probably would have even known the police response time because it was all still, it was the end game. You were into finality where he had nothing left to lose, but premeditated and it was going to end his way. And that often is the psychology as well, that you will not leave me. It will end when I say it ends and it will end the way I say that it ends. Yeah, totally, totally just like that. But thank goodness you survived against all odds where actually really everything was stacked against you. And it's just a testament to your courage your bravery, the decisions that you took, which actually don't happen at a conscious level at all. In those moments, they're split second. People say, oh, I would do X or I would do Y. Actually, there's no conscious, rational thought process. It's blink of an eye. Your amygdala makes these decisions. Like I said, I've never had a case or a situation where someone ran at the shooter. It's just counterintuitive to do that. But something within all your instincts and your instincts were absolutely right at every point. You talking about the knot in your stomach and in your throat that morning, that's the sense of foreboding. You knew something was going to happen. You didn't know what, but everything on a cellular level was telling you that something was going to happen. And we often rationalize these things and think, oh, I'm just being you know, overdramatic. We don't really know why we feel it. But actually on a cellular level, your body knew Maybe that was why you were already on red alert, but no one could have foresawn exactly that circumstance and that situation. But in terms of risk, yes, it was going to play out in a way that was most likely going to be catastrophic. What he didn't plan on was your instincts being so good and you following them that meant that you're the one who survived and he did end up taking his own life. Yeah, praise God. Yes, which I could understand why you would have that reaction. This man terrorised you 
for for many years and your children. But it didn't end there, did it? Because there have been repercussions. And for your son, your sons, of course, there's been huge repercussions. But for Jack in particular, it, it wasn't the end of uh, the story, sadly. No. So I was in hospital for six weeks. And during that time I was in hospital, Jack had gone to stay with Darren's family obviously wanted some sympathy for his father's death because after all it was still his dad um and it wasn't a good household where he was staying at the time um I think it was a toxic environment there was a lot of anger towards me and a lot of hate towards me um and victim blaming and I think Jack felt really torn what was going on so Jack's text to me from mum I'm praying for your leg turned into it's all your fault you know that dad's dad's dead you're the slag it's all your fault um so I could see what was happening I phoned social services from my hospital bed and said you need to remove him from where he is and put him in a neutral environment he needs counseling and I was told he was 16 he could live where he wanted to um so I came out of hospital on the Friday the uh, 23rd of September um hadn't seen Jack um all over the weekend and then I had a call on the Monday the 26th to say that he'd gone missing and I got in the car with my sister and gone looking for him at places where I thought he may be um and then I had a call to say that they'd found him dead in the woods he'd committed suicide oh my goodness Rachel I mean it's just so horrific and such a heavy burden because of one man's actions yeah and I I do want to make that clear one man chose to do these things that had catastrophic consequences for you and for Jack I mean a young boy growing up with him as the role model and this conflicting feeling he's still his dad as you said he's still his dad you're his mum and he's being forced into this situation where he's being told what to feel, what to think. And it, it just must have felt so heavy and so conflicting for him, so confounding with two people that he obviously loved as his mum and his dad. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and Jack, you know, he always went for the underdog, um, you know, and at the time then, Darren would have been the underdog because Darren wasn't alive, even though I was in a, a bad shape in hospital. I was still alive, so I was no longer the underdog. Darren was the underdog. Um, you know, I was the underdog after the shooting when Jack came to see me in hospital before they found Darren. But then when Darren was found dead, he he is now the underdog, and, and that's what Jack would have felt. And I think quite often, actually, with with cases, women are blamed for everything. And I remember you talking about Darren and saying that he hated his dad because of the violence. But he despised his mother because she kept going back to him. Yeah. So so in a way, his psychology was, was she kind of deserved it. He despised her even more because she was the weak one that kept going back. So in a way, she kept she asked for it and probably where his misogyny and hatred towards women, because actually underneath it all, it is a resentment and hate towards women. Well, for Jack, again, it's very conflicting. You know, who really is the victim here? If dad's taken his life, well mum kind of caused that because if mum had just been with him that's what the dominant narrative would have been at the house he was staying and we know that unfortunately because the family still take issue with you even now as if these are things that you chose which you never did and I would never want you to 
even entertain the thought that anything was your choice because it wasn't. It was his. It ended his way the way he wanted it to. And unfortunately, he took his own life. But his decision was that you were the one that would end up in the box. But that fortunately, I should say, didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm still, you know, the victim blaming still goes on. But, you know, it just, it just, it just ignites that fire in my belly to keep doing what I'm doing, Laura, you know. Um, and I said, you know, I lived with Darren, a psychopath for 18 years. You know, <laughs> there's no comparison to anything else that I'm going to get in life. Um, so it just makes me even more determined to carry on doing what I do. And you are amazing at doing it. I mean, your determination to survive, firstly, and yes, you did live with a psychopath and you did survive. Not many people do, but you did. And your determination to survive on the day and your determination and courage and bravery, given Jack was so conflicted by his dad's decisions and choices that he took his own life too. The the ripples on the pond, there's been such huge consequence for you to have to psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way, navigate your way through. And I am so happy that you are in a good place now with a a man, Mike, who's a wonderful, wonderful husband, and you have a very different life and you deserve everything that you have, but you campaign to change things for other women. You've been there, you know what it's like, you can look them in the eye, they know that you know and you're doing great things. So do you want to end just by telling people just a little bit about what you've been doing and how my listeners can help you and how they can find you? Yeah, so if you can, any anybody that's listening wants to like to sign a petition or two, I've got five running at the moment on change.org. Well, actually four that would be relevant now because the one which was around non-fatal strangulation actually uh, played an instrumental part into getting it added to the domestic abuse bill here in the UK. Um, so that that was really worthwhile doing. Um, Absolutely, and congratulations because you have been a, a huge campaigner on that, and that is no mean feat. So huge congratulations. I was a huge supporter as well, but you did a lot of the the heavy lifting and that is going to save many, many lives now that that is in law. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. So there's that one. There's one around restraining orders and license conditions. There's one around that I brought out for COVID, taking it seriously during COVID. The other one is around taking domestic um, violence serious in court. And that was on the back of a, a case here in the UK where a judge told the victim that she did, he didn't see that she was vulnerable because she had a network of friends and a degree. So she wasn't deemed vulnerable. Um, and there's one then around family courts, um, because we know perpetrators of abuse carry on their, their power and control through the family courts. And sadly, a lot of family courts and the judges, um, are enablers and they allow this to happen. Um, my petition I gave in to Theresa May just before she left office. And I know it was, um, taken down to the academics to look over and they, that the content of the, the petition, because people weren't just signing it, they were leaving their reasons for signing it. And three quarters of those were in, in family court. So I, I redacted it and took people's names out because they're so fearful to speak out about family courts. But all the content was given to the academics and that went towards um, the Hams report, which was amazing. Um, so that is, all of that is on my website, which is www.sutda.org. So stand up to domestic abuse.org. Um, I 
deliver the Freedom Programme um, each week, uh, three different groups. And since June last year, I've had um, over 500 women sign up to my Freedom Programme classes. Actually, a couple from America, um, one lovely lady in New York, um, one in Delaware and one in Miami. Another lady has just signed up from Australia, which is amazing. And 230 of those who have signed up have completed the full 12-week course, um, which is fantastic. 28 of those women sat on the course on Zoom while still with a perpetrator, and three of them I know have successfully left safely, um, which has been amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm a I'm basically an advocate online and a campaigner. I've got a, a um unmediated voice uh certainly got no filter on it uh which i mean great because i'm not funded by anybody where i do have to toe the line i can actually say it as it is and i can hold police and those professionals uh to account if need be which you do and you do very well and uh i very much enjoy working with you and i came and spoke at your conference so standing up to domestic abuse is the name of rachel's it's a charity now is it not or it's a it's a kit um, yeah community interest company yeah um so yeah so I, I that that was incorporated in january this year and as you said i held um wales's first survivor-led domestic abuse conference for survivors back in 2011 which you can watch on youtube if you if you uh Put into the search stand up to domestic abuse conference um and there's lots of really good speakers on there yourself professor jane monkton smith and um, there's commissioners and then obviously most importantly the survivor voices sharing their stories for the first time absolutely and georgia gabriel hooper was also one of the survivors incredible and we actually talked about you when i interviewed her on crime analyst and what an incredible young woman she truly is. So yes, Georgia spoke before me. So I highly recommend you have a look at the conference itself and click on the link. And then of course, there's Rachel's book, The Devil at Home, which I will post on um, Crime Analyst, also on the website and in the show notes. So please do, you can buy it on Amazon. So click the link. It is a page turner. And we've only really scratched the surface of, you know, many years of what went on, but you're such a bright light Rachel I have to say you're so optimistic and you cut through the bullshit Mm. which quite frankly is what's needed because women and children's lives are at stake so it comes from very serious consequence when professionals don't ask the right questions and don't take things seriously and you're living testament to that and thank goodness you survived and Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you for this brave, candid, honest, courageous interview. I can't say enough good things uh, about you, as I'm sure you and many others know, because I wax lyrical about you. And I just want to really thank you for the work that you're doing. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that we, we were able to get this in and, and hopefully your listeners will, will enjoy and take something from this podcast. Absolutely. Well, I could talk to you for a, a, at least uh, another two episodes. So perhaps you'll come back on and talk to me about sort of the next steps and, and what you've been doing and the work. But uh, I do want to thank you so much for your time. And I know that you have to get off because you've got, a, got to be somewhere else. So thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Oh, my goodness. What a complete roller coaster! And that's just us listening. Imagine living it. 
Rachel is so inspiring, so strong and courageous. And her son Jack. I find myself thinking about him a lot. How horrifically conflicting it must have been for him. And children are so often the invisible victims. We have to change that. Serial perpetrators cause harm to so many. And like I keep saying over and over, these are the most dangerous of perpetrators. And yet 36 different police officers dealt with Rachel's case. There was no one police officer or investigator joining the dots or making the links. Each behaviour was seen as isolated, despite the fact we know domestic abuse is a pattern. There was no grip on the investigation, no focus on Williams, on his behaviour, on his domestic terrorism and his obsession with control. It's egregious on every level. And again, the police finally apologising. Well, that's all well and good, but Rachel was almost killed and has been left with life-altering injuries, and her son took his own life. A child died. He was so traumatised. That's the real-life consequence of abuse that's been left unchecked. And that's on all the professionals. Rachel did her best to get out, She did her best to be safe, to get Jack to safety. She did everything right. And so I want to dedicate these episodes to Jack and end with an ask for you to please be an upstander. It really matters. Call out abuse. Don't be silent or complicit. Be an advocate, an ally to victims. And you can take action and sign Rachel's petitions and the serial perpetrator petition. They're all in the show notes. And so to end this episode with hashtag his name was Jack. Join me back in the intelligence cell next week where I'm joined by Celia Peachy, the daughter of Maria Stubbings, who was stalked and murdered in Essex by a man called Mark Chivers. Until then, be curious, ask questions and always trust your instinct. And here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. The first is a huge thank you to all of you, my lovely listeners and crime analysts, for tuning in every week. The second is an ask. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review on whichever platform you listen to me on. It really helps others find me and helps with the ratings. So thank you, thank you. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Tim Hansen at Harfoga Studios. Cover art and graphics by Chris Raybottom at Syndicate. And music by Kilrood.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.